Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. One of Erie's most well-known music teachers, Frank Singer. He's live with us via Zoom. Frank, thank you so, so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure to be here, Joel. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Well, we're a family show. We like to get origin stories. Tell us, did you grow up here in Erie, or are you, or are you a transplant in? I am a transplant. I grew up in New Jersey. I went to school up in Boston uh, and lived there for, well, a total of about 12 years. And while I was living there, a gentleman named Joe Doris moved up there, and we got to know each other, and we loved playing music together, and he was from Erie. So we eventually ended up kind of getting out of the city and moving here. Um, we felt like we could do more playing here. Boston was getting a little tight. A lot of the clubs had closed down. There were, you know, it was difficult to be a local musician in Boston. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, um, and we had played here uh, a few times and recognized that this was a place we could begin to get into our stuff. So um, been here about 32 or three years, something like that. What, what are some of the bands that you played locally here that we would know about? Well, certainly One World Tribe would be um, a prolific uh, band. I played with them. I I'm having some physical issues that are keeping me from getting too much right now, so I'm not doing as many gigs with them as I did. But we were together. They've been together for 26 years, I think, when I was a founding member. Um, my original jazz group is called Cats Bear, and we are playing actually a couple of times this summer um, at the Jazz Blues Festival on the Sunday, I think, and then um, at Celebrate Erie on one of the days. So... Um, and I played a lot with Steve Trahosky in various groups like Hands to Beat and Hands of Thieves and um, a variety of other groups. Steve is putting together projects continuously. So, um, and Steve was one of my students for a long time. So um, maybe those. And then um, I've done some things with uh, one of Steve's groups called Art Groupies, and that was with Eric Brewer and. Um, I'm remembering, just not remembering some of the other personnel, but that was Ellie Vahey, uh, was the singer. So a little bit more, um, we got into the club a little bit more with that one. You know, n not every musician is cut out to be a music teacher. What got right. that into your mind that, you know, maybe I have something to offer, uh, you know, somebody coming up? I came into it very early. I started teaching actually when I was about 16. Um, wow. I've been, well, I started playing in the clubs when I was 16, too. In Jersey, you could get your working papers, which were actually the green piece of paper that I kept in my pocket. And uh, so when I was 16, I started being able to play in the clubs because the drinking age at that time was 18. So it wasn't, you know, it's adaptable. So at the same time, I was competent enough to start taking on a few students, not many. Um, I love it. I There's nothing more fun than watching somebody get it slowly figure it out and then put it together and be able to express themselves with i i love music i mean music is a language to me and when you watch somebody being able to start speaking that language it's thrilling um i'm also i have a knack for it i'm good at it um i seem to be able to help people find themselves in their music without turning them into you know players like me quite differently as a matter of fact so it's a very enjoyable process um i think you do have to have an amazing amount of either patience or the understanding that your pace is not the student's pace. I think there's mm -hmm. sort of part 
but you have to let the student go at their pace, be patient with it, show them again and again and again if they need to see something again and again and again. I really don't mind explaining things over and over again um, because I think that you know it gives you a chance to try a different view and say, well, how am I looking at it this way? Um, so those are all very enjoyable tasks for me, I guess. So I, I just love it. I thoroughly enjoy the teaching. Always have. That that's amazing. And again, your specialty is uh, is guitar, correct? And so, well, guitar is my principal instrument. Yeah. I also play like and teach that. I teach piano, drums, saxophone, and voice. Also, I'm composition. I'm composition student in Florida right now. So um, we get together about three hours a week to talk composition. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. That that's that's quite a portfolio and so that must keep you busy. I was going to ask about, you know, different styles like even just the difference between playing an acoustic guitar and playing electric and uh you know people have all kinds of reasons that they play maybe they play for worship maybe they play for just pleasure they play for um you know for their school band you know but you know but you know a bunch of like my you know you, know, you might know my brother Ange natalie i mean you know some of those well maybe he's he might have been before your time anyway the, you know the uh you know but i mean they played in they played in garage bands when they were 14 all these prep kids, right? And and that's what they did. And um, uh, you, you know, so the, everybody kind of takes their role. Um, it, would you say that interest in learning to play an instrument? Uh, where would you put that on a scale uh, historically? The moment that we're in right now is it at a high end of that scale, or is it kind of diminished from what it used to be? I'm not really sure because I think so many people are getting used to the new ways that things are being done. I suspect that it's probably pretty similar. Um, and I will say about Erie that I've noticed there is a, um, not necessarily professional, but there's an amazing amount of people who play music here. It's, it's, it's maybe 10, 15, 20% of the population has played guitar or sung or done something, you know, in, in church choir or something or, you know, other. Um, so I think that's a pretty great participation level. Um, my clientele has changed a little bit over the years. I had a lot more young people in the earlier days. I'm finding that I'm getting a lot more retained students now who are getting kind of more serious about their music. So my personal clientele has changed a little bit, but I'm not really sure if that's a trend. You know, um, and I think sometimes I did notice that some of the people that contacted me about lessons with children that I think some people had not such a great experience being online for the last couple of years. And so they're very reticent to do it in music lessons. Um, so I think that's going to be a time issue because they're going to have to get away from that experience of, you know, being in a situation they weren't comfortable with right. and realize that ways of doing things. Um, I'm, have learned it's very different to teach online than it is to teach in person. There's a very, very different thing. And that's why I, having that 10-year experience really helped me make the transition very easily. But not everybody is that good at teaching online. And so I think you have to kind of suss it out and realize that you can have a really good experience, but the person behind the screen on the other side has to have a sense of how that really works. Um, so it, it, I've had to adjust a lot of what I do, but I was used to that adjustment already. So I think the, now my clientele has to get adjusted to that. Um, you know, I had a fun thing happen, actually. When I first went on, um, a person um, that I had worked with at Sarah Reed had a granddaughter, and he wanted her to study. And so she had just started, 
And then the pandemic hit and we had to go online. And he contacted, he called me on Sunday morning and he said, you know, I'm not really sure we're going to do this. We don't really know about this sort of thing that well. And I said, okay, well, look, why don't you talk to your, your granddaughter first before we, you know, make the decision and, you know, see what she says about it. Two hours later, he called me back and he says, um, Lily's already sent you a contact on Skype and she's all set, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is the story, right? The kids, they're all ready. You know, they already know this technology. They know how to live it. So sometimes I'm actually teaching the parents and the grandparents how to get used to the technology. Because with a young person, you need a, a parent involved to a certain degree, obviously. You know, a 14-year-old kid may be able to do it themselves, but the parents have to help them get online and be on schedule and, you know, take care of the paperwork and all that kind of stuff. So you do have to be involved a little bit. And I think the parents are sometimes a little nervous to be involved because of the technology. Yeah. So really not as hard as it sounds, but you do have to go through a few steps. You obviously are on Zoom right now, so you know it's just a normal part of our lives now. But um, I'm, I'm interested in finding out about attitudes as you approach to uh, learn, uh, you know, to engage someone to learn uh, in lessons, because if you're going to make the investment to go to lessons, you've got to have a mindset or th that player has to have a mindset of, hey, I want to make the investment. What are what are some of the things that you call on your especially your entry level uh, pupils, if you will, uh, to, you know, what is the expectation? Um, uh, their expectation of me, you mean? Well, no, what your expectation of them for their investment, you know, as far as time, practice, having a, a, a quality attitude to, you know, the can-do spirit, if you will? Well, they um, certainly you have to want to do it. I don't think anybody should ever be forced into music lessons. I'm not a believer that a kid should have to do it because that's going to be painful for everyone. Um, so that's the first requirement is just, you know, want to do it. Time is a factor. Um, I really, one of my favorite sayings, and I, I'll modify it here for, you know, a company, um, is the hardest thing about learning how to play an instrument is getting your behind in the chair, right? Getting to the point where you sit down, because really learning is fun. Playing music is really fun, right? But getting your homework done, getting your chores done, and getting the cap box, you know, making sure all the other things are done around the house, before, you know, or, or that there's no active crises going on, the phone isn't ringing, something's not on fire, you know. <laughs> it's all these things that take place. As soon as you get yourself in that chair and you pick up your instrument and you start playing, it's a fabulous thing. But that sometimes takes a lot of time management to be able to do that. Um, I am a professional musician and it's work for me to get in the chair and play i kind of have to because it's a neurological issue so i need to play about five days a week and it's a, a challenge it's a task for me to you know get myself to that point where i can be there every day i've, I've made a lot of adjustments in my lifestyle even to do it now i don't expect somebody to do that who's not a professional obviously but you have to put some time into it or you won't get anything out of it that's just a fact of it, you know. Do you ever worry about somebody somebody getting burned out too early? I mean, is there like a sweet spot that you go for as far as time commitment, you know? I think I wouldn't say it's a, a, t a number, but absolutely you want to pay attention to how you feel. Um, I, I have a, a, a phrase that I refer to as um, sponge brain. Because you're working on something, and you're working on something, and you're working on something, and you're practicing, and you're thinking, and all of a sudden you feel like you're all wrung out. And that is the time to stop. You need to get up, 
think, walk around, not try to force your way through that because basically your brain is a muscle and it's gotten tired, you know? So um, you have to pay attention to yourself. I think that's actually part of the discipline is you have to feel yourself out. And you have to, if you want to practice a lot, you need to build yourself up through the time. And one of the things about music that people don't necessarily think about is this is physical and in certain ways, it's an athletic endeavor. You're using your body. Um, over the years, more and more and more and more, I've seen how posture is very important. Um, health, you know, you want to kind of take good care of your health because if you're not feeling good and your back hurts and your stomach hurts and whatever, you got a headache, you're not going to practice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Know? Oh my. But posture and, and technique and everything are really how to play as relaxed as possible without causing any hurt or harm to yourself. Um, and some of that is how much time you play. You have to pay attention to that. I know I get to a certain point in my day of playing and I think, okay, you know what? That's good. That's enough. That's, you know, it was a good couple of sessions. Let's, let's call it, you know, and you can kind of feel it. Um, everybody has to learn themselves and everybody is really different. It's one of the things I really like about my job that, you know, I've never had two pairs of hands, the same walk into my office ever. And I've been teaching for 45, 46, some years or something like that. You know, never seen two pair of hands the same, never seen two people the same. Everybody's different. Everybody has their own unique way of approaching things and their own unique psychology and their own way of thinking. My job is to kind of suss it out and help them figure out what that is, you know, which I really enjoy, actually. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> First steps, how does your onboarding process work? Oh, it's pretty easy. Um, email me at my email address, frankfranksinger.com, or you go online to my website, franksinger.com and you can find out how to get hold of me there and then i basically will talk you through it um you know I, I have a pretty easy page to send people to that explains everything but basically you just we make we pick a, a platform zoom skype or facetime we exchange our contact information just like we did literally mm -hmm. okay? and then um we set a time we take care of the payment stuff either by checker paypal or something and then we schedule. I like to teach weekly. A few of my students do part-time because of their schedules or because of their finances, but most people do a weekly lesson. So we set up that time. We get in there, and I call you. Um, as far as the home person, you know, the person studying, um, before you study, obviously, you want to have a reasonably decent instrument to play. Um, and you want to have a space in your home. One of the things that I really believe in is that if you are set up and ready to play and you've got 5, 10, or 15 minutes, you might drop by and play your instrument. If I have to drag my drum set out of the garage to practice, probably not doing it. So um, I think it's nice to have, like, I have a guitar right here that's ready to play. I can grab one around there. I go down to the cellar. I've got a piano to play. There's a drum set sitting there if I want to play that. My bass is in the case right there. It's very easy for me to play something. It's not a, a struggle at all for me to find an instrument. And that may, that's one less thing you have to worry about. And then if you are reading music or studying, if you have all those materials easily accessible, so, that, oh, I got 15 minutes to practice. Um, one of the best things I ever read about that, as this gentleman said, ask yourself, when the last time it was that you played your instrument, and he was talking about guitar, so he used to turn the guitar, and he said, if it's been more than 24 hours, it's time to play your instrument. Wow. But that's really cool. He didn't say you should have to play it for this long or do any, you know, play any specific thing. It's just like play your instrument about every 24 hours. Sometimes those sessions will be long. Sometimes those sessions will be five or 10 minutes. They count because you start to make playing your instrument 
normal. Instead of this holy thing that you go over to and, oh, it's the great instrument and now I retract from it and I touch it lightly because it's, you know, glass, you know. No, you get in there and you, I got five minutes, I go bang something out. I got 10 minutes, I go play a little bit, you know. And it, it's, I call it integration. And I learned how to um, stretch and do, um, you know, uh, yoga type of things. I did that in my lifestyle. I couldn't, uh, for first thing was, you know, it take a half hour, you put on your sweats and you stretch and you, you know, go take a shower, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't have time for this. So I put a leg up on the counter when I was on the phone. Mm. You know, it was just you start to do things within the context of your life. And I realized that I had done that with music as well. That it was always available to me. Always do it. So those are the things that you get, how you get ready to study because then you're just ready to play. That that's real that's really amazing. And and again, doing that every twenty four hours, there are there are actual physical attributes that I could imagine. Like for me as a as an old timer, if I'm playing my keyboard, I need to make sure that I'm limber enough with my fingers and that would only come uh or or if you're playing guitar, you need your calluses to stay put, right? Well, and guitar is the one instrument that requires a certain amount of hand strength as well. You have to build muscle in your hand to be able to play it comfortably, and it does take a little bit of time. All the other instruments really don't require that same amount of strength. But yes, each one does have sort of a requirement of um, some kind of action, and it's also familiarity. You want to sit down and feel like you're wearing the instrument right away, not it kind of feels comfortable over here you know so we want to just boom right there and so if it's comfortable familiar territory you will do more it's absolutely guaranteed and what what about uh, when the instrument becomes the obstacle you said you have to have a playable instrument and i would imagine right. every once in a while you encounter uh somebody who wants to learn piano from you and they've got that old upright from aunt gladys that just cannot keep the high c in tune or or a plastic guitar I mean, at, at some point, you got to push back, don't you? As much as I can, I initially, because I have had a couple of students come in with guitars that were of less, lesser playable ability. I try to work with the instrument as long as I can with the people, but I will say to them right away, this is going to come up very quickly, that this guitar is not going to be able to play in tune, or they're going to have a hard time pushing down the strings because the action is set too high. Um, and, it, you know, this is something that you really do want to address pretty soon, or the student's going to get frustrated. And especially if it's a young person, always the risk that I look for and I try to avoid is for somebody to think that the problem is with them. Because then they'll get discouraged and they'll think, oh, I can't do it. I must not be that special magic person that can do this musical thing, you know. And no, it's the guitar, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I mean, again, is there a rule of thumb? Uh, because you would hate for people to spend a buck, 129 on a on a guitar mm -hmm. that won't play when if they just go up to 350, I mean, what's, what's, that, what's that minimum level for guitars, for an acoustic guitar especially, like? It used to be about 150 when I bought one of my old guitars. That was in like like 80, okay. I would say about 250 now. Yamaha and Fender and a couple of other companies make really nice starter level guitars that are honestly I think you would be able to keep for the rest of your life. Wow. Um, if you yeah, they're really nice. They play in tune. The necks are really good. They're not you know bells and whistles. They're good basic fundamental acoustic guitars. That's where I would say is a good place to start. Um, in Fender and, and Yamaha, both, um, they don't seem to have any really junky guitars at their low level that would be bad to play. I don't know all the brands. I, I don't right. shop that much. 
you know, I already got my instruments. Thank you. Um, yeah. But uh, I do pay attention to that. Um, teaching at Sarah Reed, they sell high purchase instruments, and they've done. They've had both the Yamahas and the Fenders there, and both of them have been really good. And kind of stood up a little bit to the kids, you know. <laughs> Which is. And, and, and would you also say that it probably wouldn't be smart to pay that twenty five hundred dollars for that tailor right away either? Don't do it. Don't do it because you don't know what you're going to like yet. Right? You may decide I'm going to spend the bucks for Taylor, and then I decide I want to play a Stratocaster instead. Yeah. And now yeah. you've got to get talking. May or may not be good. Who is interested these days in learning to play? Uh, is it still all generations? Is it focus on younger folks? What are you seeing? I'm actually seeing the typical young people getting interested to a degree. Um, but I see a lot of people who are either, um, a few of my students are close to retirement and have decided to pick it up and get more serious. Um, some of them have been playing throughout their lives, maybe just playing in a, a concert band or something and not really getting into improvisation or jazz or something like that. And so they're beginning to expand their, their abilities. Um, and so I see a lot of diversity there. A lot of my clientele is, um, adult. And really trying to pursue um, not necessarily anything professional, some certainly could, but to really try and develop their craft. I think people are, maybe the attitude I'm finding is that people are pursuing their interests more for the sake of their interests in some regards as, as adults, not necessarily the children. The children still want to play and you know learn their favorite songs and things like that, which is awesome. Um, but I'm, I'm finding a lot of adult clientele, and that's actually a lot of my retention is people who are really, because... I can teach a beginner. I can teach someone just to get up and running and play a little country and have a little fun with the guitar. I can teach someone to play very, very, very seriously. So it really depends on, you know, what you want to get out of your playing. And the people who are getting a little bit more serious, obviously they're going to have to spend a lot more time and, you know, develop themselves as players. So um, I'm seeing quite a mix still, actually. I'm, cur I'm curious about the impact that the pandemic had on interest in learning to play guitar. When people are kind of cooped up, maybe they got sent home from their office job and, uh, you know, they don't have that 30-minute commute each way anymore. They just open up an hour and, and you know, it's them and their cat. And, like, well, I, I mean, I, I th I, my understanding is, is that uh, it, musical instrument sales kind of shot through the roof, didn't it, or...? What sales did? I think musical instrument sales did shoot through the roof like everything else during the pandemic, you know. That probably, uh, I didn't experience that as much. I didn't notice an uptake. And again, part of the issue was that I took clientele that was coming live and I had to convert as many people who could understand that into being online. And some right. people, you know, one of my students was a restaurant worker and he... It was a family business. He had to end up going and do a lot more work. He couldn't continue the studies because he was occupied. Well, um, one of my other students was also a teacher, and he lost his students because he was not quite as tuned into teaching online, quite honestly. Yeah. I was trying to. So he stopped studying. So I found instances like that, but the people who were willing to do the transfer have had a lot of success. I mean, they, they, they really are prospering, uh, and we're really seeing it. Um, and then I've had other people come in since then, finding out about me. I advertise a little bit on Nextdoor sometimes and, you know, various places like that. Um, and so people have kind of found me that way. Um, 
I think people got instruments, but the other thing that I think that happened is, and I hope this wasn't frustrating, I think some people kind of went on YouTube and tried to figure out how to do it themselves and stuff like that. You can kind of do that, but it's risky. <laughs> tell, tell me why, because I'm sure there's a lot of people thinking, hey, just like I can learn how to change my faucet, I can learn how to right. play this instrument, you know. Um, the, I would say the problem comes down to, to an issue of correct information. You will not have a very strong sense of how to assess that as a young student. Am I getting good information? If I if I practice what this person is telling me, will I be able to do the you know accomplish the task that they're telling me I can do? Um, sometimes the things on the internet are absolutely flawless and perfect. Um, I've been uh, I got sent to a few YouTube videos one time to pick up some songs that we were learning, and one guy just had stuff absolutely nailed. Another guy I had to go back to the recording because I couldn't understand the timing of what he was playing because it was so off. So. If a student, you know, I was able to assess that because I've got years of experience. But if you don't have the experience, again, I come back to that same risk. I don't want the student to think it's them that's the problem. So if you get bad information and you try to make it into something musical and it doesn't work, you're going to think, oh, I must not understand this. It must be me. I guess I can't play music. And that's where I get really distraught because you should never think that, right? You should always think, I can know I can do this. I just have to get the right teaching, the right information, the right to do it. So it's the inconsistency that I would be concerned about. That's more than anything else. Talk talk about the uh, actual music. So, uh, again, when I was growing up as a second grader back in the uh, early 70s, you know, uh, my music teacher from grade school had the John Schwann book, and I learned, you know, all of the all of the keyboard, every good boy does fine, and all that stuff, and how to play, uh, you know, row 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 your boat. Um, you know, what what is the state of the art when it comes to actual sheet music and and chords and so on? Well, I actually, because I teach so many different kinds of people, so many different ways, it really depends on the student. Um, I don't teach from a specific book. I know my topic. I know my topic very well, and I can teach, you know, I can basically sit down in a field with a piece of paper, and I can scope it out. Um, but if you need something to say to read, right, if you, because I'm not going to write out a classical piece for you to read, you need to go get the sheet music for, you know, $2 and, <laughs> and learn it, okay? Right. Um, but the other thing is, uh, what I do a lot for my students is um, I do charts of songs that they want to learn. Um, and I will kind of tailor make them to the level that they're on. So a beginning guitar student might need to see the chord diagram so they know where to put their fingers on the chords. They might need to see an explanation of the rhythm. You know, here's downstrokes and upstrokes so you can learn how to play the rhythm right. Um, so that I do kind of person by person. Um, but it's, there's a, a var so many different ways to do it, you know, and it really depends on what the needs of the students are. Some students I don't, I don't push anything on anybody, but I would say, you know, okay, reading is nice to know, and I usually write things in notation because it's actually easier for me, but not everybody needs to become a sight reader in music in order to be able to play. If you just want to sit down and play some chords and sing, mm -hmm. that's not a necessity. So it really depends on, you know, I really try to get people to think about what they want, 
right? What would you like to accomplish here? What would you like to get out of your playing? And that's going to dictate what you end up doing, whether you read music or whether you just learn tunes or whether you learn the technique and the craft of the mechanics of how to play the instrument. There's a variety of different ways to attack it. Ear training, so you know what it sounds like. Can you listen to a piece of music and take it off and, and write it down? That's another skill. So um, it really depends. It's a, that's one of the things, again, I like about my job. There's so many different you know, ways to do it, and there's so many different people. Yeah, and, and and again, I, I find it interesting you say, you know, you let the students say, hey, I would like to play Sweet Child of Mine. You know, how do I do that that opening riff, right? And uh, and you're going to teach them on, on their strat how to do that. I might, or I might, or we might try it, and then they might say, geez, I'm having a real hard time doing something. And we might say, okay, well, now let's address that. I have a, a little thing that I do sometimes because sometimes teachers will say, okay, that's going to be too hard for you. Okay. Right? I will sometimes say, okay, let me show you what's involved. I had a student uh, a couple of months ago, maybe I'm in this fall, I guess, and she was interested in learning the Van Halen guitar solo on the recording of Beat It by Michael Jackson, <laughs> which is really, really, let's just say it's a really good solo, okay? How yes. that? Uh, Right? And so I said, okay, that's interesting. She was a beginner. Really had never played it before. And I said, all right, well, tell you what, let me scope a few things out and I'll organize it. And so I showed her a couple of the things that the person was doing. And we did this for about two weeks. And the second week, she says, um, is it okay if I ask you something? I said, of course, you can ask me something. Right? She said, can we do an easier song? <laughs> right. Right? Now, I wasn't trying to make it hard for her. In fact, I would have happily shown her step-by-step step how to do what we were talking about. But she came to the realization that I'm not ready for that challenge yet. I need to build more basic skills. So if now she knows that. That's a visceral part of her. That's not somebody going, thump, 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 and just tell her, no, you need to learn skills before you do that. She can feel that now. Right? Wow. And that, I don't think that let her forget that. Because then you go, like, okay, well, I have to build my way up. I didn't say, no, you can't do that, because of course she could do that. She's bound to determine, and she can, you know, got a little time and, you know, a good guitar. Of course she could learn how to do that. But it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort, because that's a really hard thing to do. Eddie Van Halen is a good guitar player. Okay? <laughs> yeah, let's, we're talking about Eddie here. I, 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 I'm interested in the, in the, in the juxtaposition of the – the how, let's say, okay, well, I'm going to teach you every note on that on the beat it uh, solo, or the why, why he did, you know, what he did, and and you have to learn the easier stuff first, so you understand the why of how he's getting his harmonics and and how it all flows together at, through each chord. Yeah, but but sometimes people need to kind of recognize that in themselves that they need that you know and then again you know look i could be wrong the girl could have like come back three weeks later and been ripping the solo for all i know you know I mean, totally you know. shredding it wow that would be epic oh, kind of. uh talk about, go, go ahead i'm sorry yeah uh, talk about some of the other instruments. Again, you teach you teach keys, you teach vocals, um, and again, are I would imagine are you teaching pop vocals? I mean, there's definitely different styles versus like Broadway or choral or what have you, right? I mean, no, I teach. I was taught very specifically a type of singing that was referred to me as on the breath singing, which essentially is microphone singing. So that, because if you sing in a theater or you sing operatically or you sing um, in a large scale way, you're doing a lot of projection 
that you don't want to be eight inches from a microphone on. It's going to distort. It's going to sound bad. So that kind of singing requires a, a different way to sing, but also a different circumstance. Um, I was learning how to sing on a microphone. So what, on the breath singing is essentially you learn how to keep the air in your body. And it's like a balloon, right? You open up the aperture when you want to make some sound. So I'm not pushing. I'm letting. And that's one of the primary differences between power singing, they might call it, and on the breath singing or microphone singing. They're very, very different skills. I actually learned it from a saxophone player because that's how horn, horn players learn how to sing with on the breath technique because that's how they get their tone. Oh. So you use syllables like, oh, you change the syllabalization on the horn, and that affects your tone. Which I had no idea until my teacher, and he said, by the way, you know, <laughs> Um, because that's why he learned. He was a sax player in, in Juilliard, and his teacher said, well, you, you sing, right? He said, well, why would I sing? He said, because that's how you do sound. Wow. So he, he taught Stan pretty high-end vocal stuff about how to do that. So I was very fortunate to get that. So I'm very specific about what I can and can't teach. And, you know, if somebody wants to learn power singing, they might need to go sing maybe in a choir, for example, because a lot of the choir directors around here are really good at teaching people how to project um, which is a very different skill. You use your, your diaphragm and your muscles in a really different way. Um, so, you know, it was a, it is a specific kind of singing that I, that I focus on. And then you can apply that to anything you want to do. I mean, I, primarily I sing jazz and I scat. So that's what okay. I did with my, you know. Um, I thought about singing some pop stuff for a while. Um, and then, you know, got a little older and got a little tired and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, we're, we're kind of we're wrapping things up. We got about three minutes left with uh, Frank Singer, and I, I want you to kind of uh, tell us a little bit about the trends that are out there um, as as you kind of talk to your your music friends. I, I mean, uh, you know, we went through that whole era of heavy electronics. You know, I mean, the DX. Remember the DX seven in the eighties, and 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 oh, certainly there certainly there's a lot of synths in in a lot. You know, in a lot of genres. Uh, you know, they're using auto tune, and, and there's just all these different things that are going on. But uh, tell us about the importance of really learning the essential craft uh, in an analog way, if you will. Right. That's a really good way to put it. Um, well, all the digital stuff, they're all enhancements, right? So if you, you hear in auto-tune, for example, when somebody really can't sing in tune, it sounds really stretched and really odd. If somebody's singing well and singing in tune, it has a very nice effect, right? So it, it's, um, another example would be uh, when you record drums, for example. Some drummers are very lazy in how their kick drum hits the, the, the mallet, hits the head, and they'll get a... It's kind of double kick, right? You have to be very precise in snapping off because then when you stick a mic on there and you listen to that one track in the studio and you hear, blah, 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 you know, it, you don't get it clean. So um, the acoustic side of it or the, you know, analog side, as you said, is to make sure that you can do the skills to the best of your ability. And then when you enhance those digitally, it comes out sterling, right? So, um, and the other aspect of it is, well, I, I believe in being a musician, and I think I want to find and, and help people who want that, right? I'm not necessarily a technician. I'm not a digital technician. I know how to use all the material. I mean, I, I'm, I live in a, in a modern world. I'm not, you know, I don't avoid the technology at all. But 
the more you're grounded in the ability to just walk out the door and sit down with your instrument and play something for the world by yourself or with some other people, you know, sit down on an acoustic piano, sit down on a drum set, on you know, acoustic guitar, and not have to have those enhancements, the more you're going to have your music be your own and connect with it. And then you can take that into anything you want. So I'm a big believer in getting the, the, the real music in yourself and then do what you want with it, do anything you want with it, you know. Tell us about the holistic benefit of learning to play that. I mean, again, you go and you buy that that uh, a few hundred dollar uh, Yamaha guitar, or you know, like I did, a you know, almost a thousand dollar keyboard. I'm like, this. I just want to do this for my personal edification. That right. that really has a lot of benefits for our mental health and our wholeness. Talk about it. You know, I don't go off on this topic too much because then I feel like I'm sort of just doing propaganda for my, you know, everybody. <laughs> right. You know, absolutely right. I mean, it's you, you can see in EKGs when they when they put these on musicians and they play, you, it lights up like a rainbow. It connects all kinds of neurological connections in your brain. Um, I, I really feel like the, the mental or cerebral part and the physical part of playing help you connect those two parts of your being. So your body and your mind become more connected when you play music. Um, it, it develops your awareness in a certain way. This is an odd thing to say, maybe, until you get used to it, but music, for me, is three-dimensional. It lives in three-dimensional space. It's not this little tiny plastic thing. And so in order to play it, I have to also expand my awareness. I have to be aware of my space. When I play with other people, I have to be able to hear them and me. That's a different kind of hearing. Um, I have to be able to remember what I played and develop those ideas. And so there's a lot of things you develop as a musician that help you in a lot of other ways. And it's also a very practical art form. Musicians are great problem solvers. You know, well, okay, let's say I broke three guitar strings and we have a gig in a half hour. So let's see, who's got shoelaces? You know, whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my no. gosh amazing well uh, i appreciate uh because really you've had an, an impact on literally hundreds of musicians throughout this community uh, and uh, well, you, okay and 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 i think honestly i think uh the musicians i hear in this town you know because there's so much live free music yeah it's amazing we're so blessed that way but you know, you don't you don't hear clunkers. You you hear great craftsmen uh, there throughout are our community. Pennsylvania. Yes, there are a lot of good players here. Um, I, I I've lived here for thirty five years, so I don't know other areas as well as I used to. But I feel like Erie is really saturated with good musicians and people who you know explore it on a lot of different levels. I, I've always noticed that about this place. Why did I end up here? Because we can play music here. You know what I mean? I came from another place to be here. So. You know, that's been my experience anyway. It's a great music town. Thank you so much, Frank Singer. Again, music teacher and franksinger.com, right? Sure, yeah, that's a good place to start. There's all kinds of information there. You can link to my online lesson site there. You can go to YouTube and spend some time there. You can find out where the albums are, all kinds of information. It's a good place to start. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Frank. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.